0: Tonight we dive into the black market of babies during the Victorian era. In particular, one of Great Britain. Going on the same time frame as the infamous Jack the Ripper. It was a grim time, especially if you were an unwed mother with no help and assistance, shunned by the community. A former nurse, midwife, a woman by the name of Amelia Dyer, earns the title of baby farmer as well as the angel of death. In a period spanning twenty years, she would kill between three to four hundred infants and dispose of their bodies like rubbish, all for the sake of money. One of the world's most notorious and nightmarish serial killers of all time. Spoiler alert, this one's not really for the squeamish. Yeah, some dark times ahead. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded we become fearful to be deceived. Still we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway.
1: Before we get started on this one, I do want to have a disclaimer. We're gonna use the term adopt or adoption from time to time. We understand that, that you know, if you're selfless enough to adopt a child and take them into your care, you know, that, that you know, that that's a sacrifice that not everybody's willing to yeah, make. God bless you. Uh but when we use that term today, especially in this particular instance, uh the this is not adoption the way you understand it today. This is kind of a of a darker practice, Gritty, if you will. dark, yeah. So we we don't want to, we're not disparaging adoption in any way, but that's just the terminology of the time, and so well, that, that so word will come up.
0: And again, I want to kind of stress if we have younger audiences out there, this one is probably not for the squeamish of heart Yeah, uh, and for the younger kids out there. Just forewarning. Amelia Dyer, baby farmer. She was the youngest daughter of a large British family whose father was actually a master shoemaker. Now, she grew up in a well-established home, had a great education, reading, writing, she enjoyed poetry. Seemed like a well-rounded family. These things would later help her sell herself as an established, reputable, well-rounded, trustworthy person. (laughs) She often called herself Mrs. Scott in advertisements in the newspaper, not using her real name. It sounded established, the name And it was a great alias. Now, during her teenage years to early 20s, she had held many reputable jobs. Learning from each one of these, it would prepare her in her desires. Uh, She served as a nurse, as a midwife, and even working in an asylum from time to time.
1: She did have a background in taking care of people. And I think that helped her
0: in her, I don't know if we want to call it career, but her eventual (laughs) life path here. And again trying to understand I love to try to understand people maybe maybe when she started out she had uh some you know good features and some good things she was trying to accomplish um however as you listen on in tonight's podcast you're gonna see where the the train totally left the rails <laughs> um
1: well if you if you see her photo online she's, she's a rough looking guy looks like the 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 evil headmistress of the orphanage out of every scary movie you've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah, right.
0: We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit, um, but I I call this kind of step one in catching a serial killer. We're going to talk about a governess, an unwed uh, 25-year-old barmaid. Her name is Evelina Marmon. Now, she's going to come up in the story from time to time and ultimately uh, helps to catch the serial killer. But in January 1896, she gave birth to an illegitimate, beautiful and healthy baby daughter that she named Doris. i like to add, if illegitimate, you know, that that's a phrase that'll probably
1: come up in these stories quite a bit too. Obviously, these were different times and, and children born out of wedlock, especially to house servants that, yes. that might be the product of the man of the house. Right. You know, a lot of that led to uh, the, this practice that we're going to talk about. and And so... Again, like, you know, the very strict values of those days. So just having an illegitimate child in general was frowned upon.
0: Very much. Having a baby outside of wedlock during this time frame in the 1890s went against the ethics and the core and morals of society. Again, as Bill said, kind of different times. During this time frame, for an unwed woman to have a child was like a sentence. No one would hire you. Uh, You could not acquire any financial aid or help yeah you would essentially become untouchable yeah and i mean you you did whatever you could do to survive and hopefully try to provide for your your baby young mothers like this would often try to find help wherever they could uh at best finding a babysitter of sorts uh that would allow them to acquire a job secretly others took the oldest of professions becoming ladies of the night in the red districts of town previously in England, if a child was born out of wedlock, the child and the mother got some protection by the law. If the father did not wed the mother, the local parish would then kind of step up and take place and provide for them. There was a
1: there was a law passed at some point in the 1800s, late 1800s, and I don't remember the exact name, but it actually stripped certain protections yes. away from the father. Like he wasn't responsible.
0: However, in 1834, the practice was abolished, possibly thinking this was empowering and encouraging babies to be born out of wedlock, which obviously is something the church did not want. So when this infant girl, Doris, was born in 1896, 60 years later, to mother Evelina Marmon, they did not have that luxury. In doing this, the government essentially put all responsibility, moral, financial, and all others, to the woman, to the young mother, And without the aid of the parish, these single mothers were faced with dire circumstances to provide for the infants. So this young mother placed an inexpensive, tiny little advertisement in the local newspaper. It didn't cost much to do so, however, it would truly cost her everything. As it would take her and her infant daughter directly into the hands of the era's most notorious baby farmers of the Victorian age.
1: Now I think we've used this term baby farming... Uh, I think we we needed to find that just a little bit if we're Good before point. we go on. So the idea of baby farming was uh, the historical practice of accepting into your custody an infant or a child in exchange for payment. This was late Victorian era Britain and to a lesser extent Australia, the United States. Uh, but basically they would adopt children for a lump sum payment or others would care for the infants for periodic payments. But basically you were paying someone to take your baby.
0: And that could be, like I said, not a term used back then, but a babysitting kind of stint, maybe for certain hours, days, weeks. At times, I think that's how it was used. But often, it became the word because adoption. These, these
1: people were paid with the understanding that care would be provided for the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, but baby farmer actually became an insult pretty early on in the, this practice, and it was if you were called a baby farmer, it was implied that you were not treating yeah, that these was children properly. Definitely a very negative. Uh, again, illegitimate children were were usually uh, quote unquote put out to nurse and uh, you know to keep to keep that stain off the family. you know the, these babies would disappear. It was like they were never there at all. Uh, it also at the time encompassed foster care and adoption before they were regulated by law in in that area so again like i said we're going to use the term adoption but in in this this context not great sometimes wealthy women would put infants out in the care of villagers you know the these well-to-do ladies didn't have time to take care of their own children and nursemaids and such the separation anxiety i mean it usually left long lasting effects on these kids even in the situations where you know bad things didn't happen usually lump sum arrangements You know, honestly, it was more profitable if the baby farmer for the baby farmer if the infant died, because they had to care for these children. They were given a lump sum payment, and then they had to care for the kid. And a lot of times, that money wouldn't be enough to care for that kid for very long. Mm -hmm. And so, it they could actually make money if the children died. And so, unfortunately, that became you know part of this. The payments usually weren't very much. I've got some some money value here. Well-off parents that wanted to keep the birth a secret. You know, uh, they might pay as much as 80 pounds, which would be, uh, you know, adjusted for inflation and then converted to dollars would be about $14,600 today. Uh, again, that's that's not a lot to take much. care for a child. Uh, 50 pounds, if, if it was just the father wanting to keep things quiet, which would be about $9,100, uh, impoverished young women would actually, you know, quote unquote, be charged to take their babies from them.
0: How gross is that?
1: Uh, five pounds then, which would be the equivalent of about $910 today, the price of a baby, yeah. $910. Yeah. That's, that's sad. And, of course, like I said, some people resorted to starving these babies to save money. I mean, the $900, that five pounds wouldn't go very far. So.
0: I actually read, to your point, like if they, we'll use the word adopted again, yeah. Uh, a young baby, they would take that money and go buy medicine to basically tranquilize said baby yeah, I've got, I've until got they starve to death.
1: Uh, noisier, demanding babies would be sedated yes. with alcohol or opiates. They had what they called Godfrey's Cordial, also known as Mother's Friend, and it was just like a like a serum that contained opium. Opium. Uh, the drug children would have no desire to eat. They, they wouldn't be hungry. They just wouldn't eat. And uh coroner would often rule the death uh, debility from birth, lack of breast milk, or just simply starvation.
0: One of the stories I had read, um, apparently this medicine didn't taste real well. So often the uh, baby farmers would put honey or something sweet and yeah. then uh, actually get the, the baby to suckle off the finger to take some of this. And they explained like a flat, uh, you know, an apartment uh, where couches and... and And beds would just be lined with babies that were sedated, uh, waiting for them to die. Kind
1: of horrific. I mean, and and again, not everybody that participated in this was that. Like you said, some of it was legitimate adoption. Some of it was like child care. Right. People, you know, well-off people paying someone to take their their baby born in shame or the the charging poor people to take their babies.
0: And they didn't have anywhere else to turn to. I mean, it was desperate times.
1: And we're going to charge you money to take your, your poor baby. And again, the five pounds was probably way less than what it was going to cost to raise that baby. They were, you know, impoverished. They were honestly probably coming out
0: ahead. Now, again, going back to Evelina Marmon, she had taken out a small newspaper ad, and the ad actually said, Wanted, respectable woman to take young child at home. State terms uh, to Mrs. Scott, 23 Manchester Street, Chettentam, England. This was actually an ad that the two women would come together and meet Evelina and the, the baby farmer, when she'd put that tiny ad in there, she was looking for a, a good, reputable person or a family, not as an adoption, but simply somebody trust, trustworthy as what we would use today as the term babysitter, allowing her to go get a job and help to provide. In this ad, literally, that's what brought the two women face-to-face, and she met, literally, the devil. Uh, she would be dubbed the angel of death. Mrs. Scott appears, uh, which of course is Amelia Dyer, using her alias, at the doorstep, and quickly presented herself as uh, an aging elderly couple, her and her husband, uh, that lived in the country, could not have children of their own, and was getting on in life, so they wanted to adopt. When Evelina said she really wasn't wanting to adopt, the tables kind of got a little bit more frantic. And basically, she was told, you know, look, I may be the only chance you have. (laughs) Sign over the rights to the baby. Give me some money for doing this. And I will promise you she's going to be raised great in a country setting, you know, well provided. The young lady, you know, 25 years old, I guess, felt that that was probably her best option. Hoping to provide a better family for her young daughter, Doris. And of course, that's not the way it, it, it worked out. Uh, she would actually make payments to Dyer for this. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. some arrangements weren't like a lump sum. You a didn't lump pay sum. all at once. Yeah. You paid periodically. And I would think those arrangements were probably more of the babysitting type.
0: Now, Evelina made Mrs. Scott promise that she would constantly update her with letters on how her daughter Doris was doing. Uh, she also said uh, she could come and visit and see baby doris you know so everything seemed good Uh, she did get a letter back from mrs scott amelia dyer when they did arrive home but that was the only letter that they would ever get uh, back this infant later would be found in a carpet bag piled in with another little boy baby Uh, and floating in the river thames caught by a a fisherman happened to Mm -hmm. notice it and this is where things start coming unraveled Apparently, Mrs. Dyer, the baby farmer, had a system that she had developed through the years. And we're going to go back and kind of visit with what got her from point A to point B. But she also had um, traits as a tailor, a working and seamstress. There was a tape that was used in making dresses that she would tie around the baby's necks to suffocate them. Not much more than a piece of lace kind of a shoelace kind of thing that was tied around the neck. That kind of become her trademark. And when they started looking in the river where these baby infants were found, they started finding more and more with this tall tale sign of the ribbon tied around the neck. If we've learned anything, if you're going to be a serial killer, you got to mix that up a little bit. Yeah, that's not the same way you want to do anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think eventually she was arrested on April 4th of 1896 and this became one of the most sensational trials of the Victorian period. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And yeah, it was the murder of, of that infant, Doris uh, Marmon, mm-hmm. that, that eventually she was found guilty of, baby Doris. And she was one of a handful of, of baby farmers that was actually executed And on June 18th, uh, 1896. She was, was hanged. Now, in the course of her trial, only a handful of murders were actually attributed to her. But it is rumored she was responsible for possibly more than 400 deaths in her lifetime. Yes, and this was over—I mean—a 30-year period that she was caring for children. And again, I—I I think you touched on it. this. Started out as a—you know—legitimately taking care of children, but she learned that if those children died in her care, she still got the money. It became profitable. Yeah, it became a profitable thing for her.
0: Yeah, there was—you um, know—while having several several notable jobs. Uh, especially as a nurse and a midwife working the asylum. Humble beginnings, I guess, if you would. She had met an, an elderly lady, as I understood, that was a fellow nurse while she was working as a nurse. And the society had kind of created a, a terrible issue by turning the back, the parish church, and everybody turning their back on these young mothers. Many of the hospitals, I understood, didn't even want to deliver the children. Well, I would
1: assume at the time, a lot of hospitals were probably directly associated with the church.
0: So makes sense yeah so this elderly nurse kind of asked uh, amelia dyer for some help because she had opened up kind of a if you will a back alley midwife area and she would help a lot of these mothers would come to her and and, and deliver the babies because they could not go to the regular hospital and i could see where this this could have some semi-innocent beginnings but what would happen is a lot of these women were so stressed out that literally after giving birth, they would just walk out and leave the child. Um, almost like escape out the door as fast as they could, leaving them with an infant. And again, that's the, the product of the values of the time where these things were shame.
1: You know, if you were an unwed mother or again, if the father was part of a well-to-do family, he didn't want that, that stigma. It's, it's just different values, different, different time right. periods.
0: Well, then this kind of started adoption apartments, if you will. And so they would take out ads for people who did want to adopt. And again, you got to consider times were times were hard. Obviously there were some wealthy families, but for the most part, I mean the general class, it was all they could do to keep their own families uh, you know above poverty level. But uh, she would offer this this nurse would offer what seemed like reasonable lodgings at a reasonable price uh, for pregnant mothers. And however, once the unwanted infants uh, would would be born, they'd be passed through kind of a grim network of underground liquidation, black market sales. Sounds awful. Nasty. There was one particular woman by the name of Margaret Waters, and she seemed to kind of be one that would take care of a lot of the babies, but they would fade away very quickly of starvation. And a lot of
1: times it was just
0: chalked up to accident, you know, or just- There wasn't a lot of real health and laws, and quite honestly- I, this sounds horrible, but it, it wasn't important at the time yeah. because these were people that were kind of, you know, to be forgotten about anyhow.
1: Well, and, and you know, she was believed to have killed at least 19 of the, these children. She was charged with five counts of uh, willful murder as well as neglect and conspiracy. And, and she was uh, executed in 1870. Her, her sister was actually involved in that, too. And her sister was convicted in the same case. Uh, for obtaining money under false pretenses, and she was sentenced to eighteen months hard labor. So, wow, some of these people did come to justice, but you know, it's too little, it too to late.
0: Happen. Now, Amelia Dyer, she was smart enough to hide under her fake name. I'd already used Mrs. Scott. Uh, she had a couple other aliases, but Mrs. Scott was one of her favorites. Well, my favorite
1: alias is uh, she eventually became dubbed the Ogress of Reading. So. Ogress of Reading.
0: <laughs> she had learned with her jobs in the medical field, how to stay ahead of the law, what the law would be looking for, how to escape around that. Uh, she had went back to some of those jobs before. Her husband lost his job like in 1887. She'd kind of pulled away from the baby farming and the apartments. But then when he started losing his income, of course, she had to step it up a little bit. So you once do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do, yeah. So she hired some of these women to help take care of the babies and immediately started taking out ads in multiple newspapers, you know, looking for adoption, acting like she was a, a reputable adoption, you know, person that could be trusted at that time frame. She um, did go to jail, as you had said or mentioned. She, uh, it was very short because nothing could really be proved except for negligence, but she quickly learned she did not want to return to jail. Yeah. One of the jobs, I believe, was they had to pick what looked like ropes and their fingers would get all bloody. Uh, her bed was literally a wooden bench with no cushions. And, I mean, she was a middle-aged woman at this time. Yeah, it she, wasn't comfortable for anybody. She had
1: been, yeah, she had gone to jail for, for this at least once before, you know, she was executed uh, and attempted suicide even. So it, she
0: survived at least one suicide attempt. Yeah, she didn't want to spend any time locked up. Well, and she also had quite an addiction to opium. Um, I don't know if it was I think that's battling really common <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> at that time. I don't know if she was maybe battling some of her own demons trying to hide it. Uh, she was around it, as we said. You know, giving versions of opium to the infants to keep them quiet. Uh, uh, Laudium uh, was basically an opium medicine, and ironically, there w- this was before pain pills. And so, if you had an ailment, a pain, uh, you could get this Laudman over-the-counter uh it was cheaper than alcohol i mean here's opium being sold over the counter legally for just about anything that you wanted to use no real laws about it and so she started (laughs) taking the opium
1: it reminds me of a joke i heard somewhere it was like you know the 1800s were a wild time it's like oh you don't feel good do some cocaine about it
0: But she, w- she would become a total addict uh, to this. And eventually, maybe that's kind of what got her to make some of her sloppy mistakes that uh, ultimately got her caught. She had become a master of dodging the law. Every year or so, she would bounce around to a different area, move in Britain, usually within a 100-mile radius or so. Uh, she ran under several different alias names when she took out her advertisements in the newspaper. She had hired some uh, people of, shall we say, ill repute to handle a lot of the day-to-day duties, which could be disposing of baby bodies. It could be drugging the infants until they starve to death. Uh, At some point in time, it was even brought up, although not proven, when people started getting close to her, uh, her husband and some other people would take them out and stage it to look like possibly Jack the Ripper's victims, (laughs) which was going on at the same time which may have fueled Jack the Ripper as if he wasn't bad enough already. But with her background in the medical field, in particular an asylum, she had a tendency to hide in plain sight. She would fake her own mental illnesses, again, because she'd worked at an asylum. She was a nurse. She knew what the checklist was. She would check herself in to hide, lay low for a while in (laughs) an asylum. And that was a much better conditions than what the prison and stuff was. So then when things would kind of ca- uh, calm down, she would self unmedicate or whatever she needed to do, <laughs> check the boxes and check herself back out and start over again. She also stopped letting a lot of the people take care of the business herself. You know, she took business into her own hands. She herself said that uh, she started disposing of the infants. Uh, Cause again, I mean, the more people involved, the bigger the chain there is for the weaker links. She, uh, rescued a granny smith from the poor farm uh, an elderly lady and again these poor farms were were not luxurious but she went in and found her that she had some knowledge of midwifing so took her under her wing to help her with her enterprise you you gotta forgive me here
1: this just popped into my head completely unbidden you say she rescued this granny smith granny smith um and based on the story and where we know this all ends up is is that why we call those particularly tart apples the granny, granny smith? smith i wondered <laughs> i seriously it did
0: it went across my mind i was like i wonder if there's any connection here now this 90 year old woman again was rescued from the poor farm she was smart enough to know what was going on she didn't know how but she understood there was piles of baby clothes that would stack up correspondence letters where a dyer would put out these newspaper ads and then of course there was correspondence back and forth with mothers again she started getting a little sloppy maybe due to being addicted to opium Uh, she would move and leave all this stuff at her former house so the police would come find all these letters of correspondence about children find all these stacks and stacks of baby clothes and they said one of the houses that she had left the stench of death Ugh. was so extreme. They didn't find any bodies or anything, but it was just the fact literally that they were drugging these infants and they were starving them to death. I
1: see the baby clothes thing comes up in a couple of the, the other baby farming stories. There's only so much you can do, right? you got to dispose of your evidence somehow. Yeah, and so, why
0: wouldn't you, I mean, burn the clothes, donate yeah. them, do something. one of it.
1: the stories, I think one of the ladies gave away some of the baby clothes to a, a little girl to use as doll clothes. And then her mom happened to recognize those clothes as belonging to a baby that had been put up for adoption. So, I mean, it's... Start connecting the dots. Yeah.
0: Well, and early on, before she went to jail for that negligent, she was trying to do things legit. And and I have to wonder what her sanity and mind thought was early on. She was going to the doctors and getting birth certificates when babies would be born (laughs) and then getting death certificates when the babies died eventually though she stopped involving she stopped the doing that yeah. for obvious reasons <laughs> but yeah one of the doctors when she was being put on trial came forward and said i did think it was a little odd that you know there was like a hundred infant death certificates requested in a period of like four months you know, it's like, what? That doesn't throw up any room. Yeah, cage, right? it's like, how does this, and why would you do this? <laughs> I'm, I, I didn't get it. So she she got to be quite elaborate at dodging the law. We kind of touched upon it the fall where she finally actually got caught. Local fisherman finds a carpet bag, which for those of you who may not be familiar, that's a, that's an older term. Yeah. Imagine kind of like a bowling ball bag, a little bit larger. It was a heavy duty a bag usually made out of a woven carpet style pattern. These would be used by many professions and stuff. It's a pretty common item. But it would be big enough that you could put like two infant bodies in at a time.
1: That is not a measurement I ever thought I would hear used. It's yeah. big enough to hold two infant that, bodies.
0: That's creepy. Yeah. She also had another trait that she did for whatever reason. She would wrap the infants in newspapers or papers that she had around the house. And this was one of the things that helped get her caught. Well, I was going to say, that'll definitely help pinpoint. Uh, Found a partial address uh, where she had led. And that led them to the house that I had mentioned that they said the morbid, rancidness, smell of death. And they found all the baby clothes stacked up and the correspondence letters. The house address was checked. You know, she'd already left. But because of all of this stuff, the police were on tour. They also had started uh, dragging the river, if you will, for other uh, bodies, which they found many. Mostly, again, with that seamstress tape uh, wrapped around their, their, their throats. Uh, as the bodies began to accumulate, it was obvious what was going on. So the police themselves put an ad out in the newspaper uh, portraying themselves as a single mother trying to get help with an infant offering an equivalent of about $500 in today's adoption fees. They said they didn't want to be too extreme that it would, you know, shock her to get her not to come, but not so cheap that she (laughs) wouldn't come. And sure enough, it works. In the cover of darkness, Amelia Dyer responds. She goes out uh, to meet what would be the police, uh, and she goes into custody. And you had mentioned the trial. I think it lasted one day. She tries to proclaim ins- insanity. <laughs> uh, her own brother testifies against her. Well, you you got to admit.
1: I mean, that that's the sort of crime that you don't mess around with. You know, four that, that's awful.
0: Four minutes. I was told in deliberations, they find her guilty and sentence her to death.
1: And again,
0: like she's found guilty of the
1: murder of, of baby Doris, but. A 30-year span is more, possibly more than 400 victims.
0: Yeah. And usually, I mean, let's face it, those body counts are usually on the lower side. So, yeah, I I think there would probably be at least 400. We'll put it that way. But, yeah, baby Doris was obviously one of the infants that they originally found by the fishermen. And this this was sad. Um, The police had contacted uh, the mother of baby Doris and said, could you come to the police station? We have your baby. Oh, man. She's thinking, yeah, oh, the baby Doris is alive and that's well. That's awful. She goes, they follow. you know, they, they say, Follow me down the hall. They take her to the morgue and she identifies oh, the body. I can't imagine. Uh, yeah. That's oh. uh, obviously she was crushed, but it was because that woman uh, stood up, you know, at that time frame, you know evelina marmon 25 year old woman unwed having a baby as we were talking before the podcast if you had speculation something was going on you're not really going to go forward because you know yeah. what you did was kind of black market yeah a lot of the the women
1: involved in this if they wanted to reclaim their babies or see their babies and and they couldn't for whatever reason they were very i mean i don't want i don't know that a phrase right but loath to go to the police yeah Because they were already involved in something kind of shady as it was. And yeah, yeah, you didn't want to advertise your (laughs) saying, Hey, I had this baby out of wedlock and I gave it up and now they won't let me see it. So again, you know, the numbers on this, who knows? Who knows how bad it was?
0: Evelina Marmon, for whatever reason, made a point to take a stand. You know, here's that example of one person can make a difference. And by her constantly going and harassing, maybe that's not the right word, but going to the police, bringing attention to it, uh, some of the newspapers picked up stories about it. It pulled that doctor back out that had issued, you know, a hundred death certificates and built a very solid, very quick case. Too little, too late, yeah. unfortunately. But I could not imagine being called up to the police department thinking you're going to go pick up your infant. And and then to make matters worse, they said, you know, at the time frame, the best that they could, baby Doris, probably was killed within hours of leaving her mother's house. That's I mean, so terrible. Dyer didn't even attempt to take care of her.
1: So we have Amelia Dyer here, the the, the ogress of Reading, uh, and we do eventually have her being executed for her crimes, but there were some other notable names in England and Britain. Uh, you have Amelia Sack and Annie Walters. Uh, they were both executed in 1903, and they were known as the Finchley Baby Farmers. Amelia, who roughly around 1900, began to advertise that babies could be left with her and took money for taking them in. the uh, The clients were mostly servants from local houses who had become pregnant under mysterious circumstances. Hmm. I think it goes back to our earlier conversation. Yeah, and uh, they were always keen to to resolve the matter discreetly. the The charge for her to take a baby was between 25 and 30 pounds, which would be 4200 to 5000 dollars today. Uh, she would collect the baby after it was born and then would use chlorodyne, a medicine that contains morphine, right. to dispose of the babies. Uh, her landlord happened to be a police officer and, and happened to notice that this woman was constantly taking in babies but didn't have any babies. Maybe if your landlord's a cop, you don't get involved in shady
0: activities. Not so much on the background checks there.
1: So he, she, that was her eventual downfall. Uh, no one, no number was given for her. They don't know how many babies were died, died in her care. The last baby farmer to be executed in Britain was a uh, Rhoda Willis. She was hanged in Wales in 1907. The only woman to be hanged in Wales, actually. Uh, she was sentenced to death for murdering the illegitimate child of a single woman named Maude Treasure. Now, she uh, she was lodging with a Mr. and Mrs. Wilson in Cardiff, and she encouraged them to take part in the, this adoption process. She said, oh, you should take in babies, and they'll pay you for it, and you make money doing it.
0: And it's a great job. Yeah, it's Sign a great up today. Job.
1: Now, apparently, uh, Rhoda liked her drink. She came home drunk one day, and in trying to get into bed, she apparently missed, fell out of bed. <laughs> Mrs. Wilson went in to help her and found a dead baby wrapped in wrapped in a bundle in the bed in the bed oh, with her. My gosh, uh, it was clear that the baby had been suffocated, and apparently, uh, Rhoda had taken in this baby uh, for the for the price of six pounds, which would be about eleven hundred dollars today. Uh, she was executed by hanging at Cardiff on August 14th of 1907 on her 40th birthday. That's a heck of a way to celebrate your birthday. Yeah, happy
0: birthday. And uh, like I said, the only woman to be hanged in Wales in the 20th century. Th- this is one of those topics that just kind of makes the yeah. hair on the back of your neck stand up. Well, I, I don't know how anybody could <laughs> could be so hardened.
1: Well, well, what's crazy is this is such a common thing that in, in uh, Scandinavian countries, they actually have a name for it. Um. Now, I have here the, the Swedish word, which is angla makerska, and I'm sure that I said that right. It sounded great. Uh, but that means female angel maker. Female angel and maker. It's such a thing. Like I said, they have a name for it. It's horrible. It's horrible. Like you said, you can't imagine Disgusting. somebody doing that. There was an undercover investigation on baby farming conducted in 1870, and the conclusion was, and I quote, My conviction is that children are murdered in scores by these women. That adoption is only a fine phrase for slow or sudden death. The UK Parliament was moved to act, and they began to regulate baby farming in 1872, spurred by the investigation. Obviously, we still have people being hung in the 1900s, so they, they didn't, didn't go away. Didn't but move as fast as they should have, but eventually they they passed the Infant Life Protection Act. An, an important figure that was involved in this was Athelston Braxton Hicks, which. If you're familiar with labor, I'm I'm sure his name means something. Uh, He was a London coroner, actually, but he gave evidence in 1896 uh, to the dangers of baby farming. One case was a Mrs. Arnold who had been uh, sweating, quote unquote. I'm not sure exactly what it means, but she had been sweating infants illegally by by just taking one at a time and so remained under the radar. A jury in the case uh, later added the opinion that the jury are strongly of opinion that further legislation... And what are usually known as baby farming cases is greatly needed and particularly that the required legislation should extend to the care of one infant only and that the age of the infant should not be limited to one year, but rather to five and that it should be an offense for any person undertaking the care of such an infant to sub farm it. So, you know, after this had become quite a thing, after the big show of the dire trial, you know, they, they really kind of started to step in and say, this is something that should be regulated. And eventually would become the foster and adoption system that they have today. Like I said, adoption, when we use it in this context, is is horrific. Now, these were just terrible, terrible people to do what they
0: did. Yeah. And society, the world, obviously kind of created the perfect place for these monsters. They wanted to be forgotten. The, well, the people didn't want to be forgotten, but society wanted to forget the people. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a perfect petri dish there that, We're not going to look that way. We don't really, we're going to turn a blind eye. Uh, You know, they kind of created this, so obviously it was good that we learned from our mistakes. Unfortunately, at a terrible, terrible cost of life, I I don't even know what else to say on this one. I I think truly this is one of those tales of nightmares on the Lost Highway for sure. We thank you for listening in. We hope that you did uh, enjoy the podcast, and uh, thank you for your continued support. We'd like to give a shout-out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, Lebanon, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for again supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway.
1: I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio.
0: I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, (laughs) using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing, and thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, and I'd like to thank all
1: of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.